Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. With that, let's get right into today's extended Bring It On conversation. Good evening, and I'm Roberta Radovich. Over 3 million students graduate from U.S. high schools every year. Most get the opportunity to test their dreams and live their American story. However, a group of approximately 65,000 youth do not get this opportunity. They are smeared with an inherited title, illegal immigrant, in quotes. These youth have lived in the United States for most of their lives and want nothing more than to be recognized for what they are, Americans. The DREAM Act is a bipartisan legislation pioneered by Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah, and Senator Richard Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, that can solve this hemorrhaging hemorrhaging injustice in our society. Under the rigorous provisions of the DREAM Act, qualifying undocumented youth would be eligible for a six-year-long conditional path to citizenship that requires completion of a college degree or two years of military service. On a related matter, the number of migrant children separated from their parents under the Donald Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy, one of the year's highest-profile examples of the ongoing humanitarian crisis at the border, continues to reach new heights, while hundreds of children have been released under a court order, according to the New York Times, that population has ballooned five-fold since last summer, from 2,400 in May 2017 to 12,800 this month. The number marks the highest ever recorded. Joining us in the studio this evening to discuss the DREAM Act and the current state of affairs for the detained undocumented children is Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law. She's an expert on immigration issues. Also joining the conversation by phone is a young adult who goes by the name of Joseph. He is a dreamer seeking a path into this country that he has developed a strong sense of love and respect for. And with that, Christine and Joseph, welcome to Bring It On. Hi, thank you. Joseph, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thanks for joining us uh, this evening, Joseph. We, we truly appreciate it. And to Christine, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, Christine, we've had an opportunity to talk a little bit before we went on the air. And... Um, I'm just really overwhelmed by the fact that here we are in 2018, still having these conversations, and with all that went on this past summer, with the embarrassing and humiliating way that migrant children were separated and detained, we're still having these conversations. And uh, your thoughts on that, or just this whole current day that we're in right now? Yeah, it's very crazy right now. It's hard to believe what has happened to our immigration system in general. The Trump administration, since since it started in 2017, has really been systematically changing the immigration policy a little bit at a time um, by policy sub-regulatory guidance, so not through the regulatory process. And it, they really have fundamentally changed and altered everything to the harm of primarily either undocumented immigrants or immigrants of color. So they came into office wanting to challenge what they deemed as um, the unlawful immigration, those problems, but in fact they are limiting immigration. So what we're seeing at the border is certainly one symptom, and it's a really horrific example of what's going on, but we're just seeing a lot of changes that are equal to that across the board. And it seems like what is happening, at least in some some kinds of storytelling around this, I won't, I won't say media because that's <laughs> such a hyperbole statement to say, but in the storytelling, in the reporting of this, what is being sensationalized is sort of the racialization of 
populations of immigrant um, immigrants who are looking for American citizenship. And so, and what a detriment that is is having. Absolutely. <laughs> um, do you want to speak to that a little bit before we uh, bring in Joseph into this conversation? Yeah, no, I think that that is absolutely true. And it started from the time that President Trump announced his candidacy, right, when he said that Mexicans were rapists and this, it has gone on from there. The the terms that they use to describe immigrants and the laws that they are, and the policies they're trying to pass that really do harm primarily immigrants of color from um, Latin America or from South Asia, from Africa. It's terrible and it mm-hmm. is racist and xenophobic. I, I shied away mm-hmm. from using those terms initially, trying to give a ben- the benefit of the <laughs> right. doubt to people, but I can't anymore because it's right. very clear at this point what's happening. I'm so glad, um, and, and I'll let this be the last comment before we bring on Joseph, but I'm so glad you mentioned uh, people or, or immigrants of color. It's not just Hispanic or Mexican or whatever. It, it co- crosses a broad path or broad spectrum of people. Um, who were viewed as uh, not the very best. I mean, we know what he thinks about African countries. Exactly. Um, and I, I will never forget, I've never heard a president reference that before publicly, or it's been revealed publicly that he said these things and still stay in office. Uh, but there, there's a whole host of other things um, that he has demonstrated. He descends the ivory steps on day one and says they don't send us their very best. And as you described earlier, it went down a whole characterization that just smears a group of people. And, and, and this is America's um, leader of the free world. So uh, with that, Joseph, uh, thank you for patiently uh, hanging on as we sort of gone through some preliminary things. And uh, Joseph, if you care, just to share with us some thoughts on, on this and maybe acquaint us with um, your story, and of course, uh, we'll use anonymity as as much as uh, as needed. But uh, thank you for agreeing to join us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I just want to say that um, through this message, I want to spread um, a clear message that is not favoring either side of the political spectrum, and that is more focused in the sense of who uh, people like me are. Um, I do want to say that some of the things that, um, of course, the president has mentioned or other people that have um, used against immigrants um, are sometimes not far from reality. I know that in every community there is faults and errors, but the people that will always look for an opportunity will always be the people that uh, are looking to do their best and be the best that they can be and offer more to America than what America has to offer them. <laughs> Joseph, um, thank you for joining us. I want to know more about your story and and not the details, of course, but where where does your love for where does your love and expectation to finally um, be accepted as an American? Where does that come from? Well, I would say that it comes from the sense that I grew up in this country um, since I was a five-year-old. I grew up around a very uh, established veteran community Mm -hmm. that served in various uh, conflicts around the country uh, throughout the the world. And that they, uh, afterwards, I fostered a sincere appreciation and love for this country. Uh, I was aspiring to join the armed forces, and when the president came into office, um, that program had been canceled. So I was steps away from fulfilling a very powerful um, dream that I had, and more in sense commitment to this nation that I wanted to sacrifice my own rights to preserve the unity of this country and to make it the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. And how is that, how are you finding um, that that passion is getting translated now? Well, I would say it's more in the involvement of what I'm looking to do, aspiring to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, lead one day in the sense that I will lead um, this nation, maybe not in the sense of being president, but definitely by demonstrating that 
the American people are who they are not being pictured as, but more of uh, a strong unity, a strong valued um, nation with various communities, whether they're different or similar. But at the end of the day, they're all looking to be accepted uh, in society and looking to come together for the best. Mm-hmm. And Christine, how how is it that you come to be inspired to do the work that you're doing on behalf of these groups and the population that is, you know, working through some of the issues that uh, Joseph has expressed? That's a good question. It's an ongoing issue, really, continuing yeah. to find passion. Uh, is I think any time that you work on issues of social justice, mm-hmm. there are moments when you can get very overwhelmed, very down, and feel like everything is just falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have those moments. Uh, I literally every week the Trump administration changes something or something happens that makes it more difficult and more frustrating. Or we see clients who aren't getting the statuses that they want or things have changed and they should have been able to get status. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard. I think I, I see an end point in a couple of years and <laughs> that gives me a little bit of hope <laughs> to think, wondering. yeah, to think mm-hmm. that things might change. But right now I just, uh, I guess I see injustice. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of injustice and it's really hard for me to ignore. And um, up to this point, I've had the experience of practicing immigration law and you know I'm not uniquely qualified but qualified to do things that other people can't and to help people and so I try to find inspiration in in doing that and helping people. Um, Both to uh, Christine and to Joseph um, I want to read something and just get your reaction. There is a poem at the, the base of the Statue of Liberty which says give me your tired your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. What comes to mind when you hear that, Christine? Well, this poem actually is when I first started practicing immigration law, I had it hanging up in my office. Mm. It's very inspirational to me. It is the fundamental grounds for which immigration happens in our country, and that is that we, our laws have long recognized that we welcome in families, we welcome in people who are fleeing persecution, who are fleeing economic hardship, and that really is what we have seen for the majority of immigrants who have come here since the colonists originally came here. So that that has been what immigration has been about in the United States. And um, when our leaders talk about changing our immigration system or changing certain policies, to me that goes against what that poem stands for. And that poem really is a guiding light, I think, to what our principles should be. Uh, Joseph, uh, care to weigh in on that? Well, um, I have had the chance to stand uh, and see a lot of the iconic um, um, things that this country has. Uh, For example, the Grand Canyon, or like you said, the Statue of Liberty. When I think of the Statue of Liberty, I think of New York. uh, New York was a bustling uh, community that was receiving immigrants day-to-day, day-to-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, and that many of them uh, worked in the labor force that eventually some of their descendants would end up, uh, you know, recognizing the hard work that they did to go beyond and live the dreams to their fullest and live the life to their fullest. And, yeah, I think that's something very inspiring, that this country should not uh, qualify people for what they look like or or um, for their religious beliefs, more in the sense of the talents, the skills, the commitment that they want to bring to this nation. And yet, that's our higher, <laughs> that's our higher self. But what's happening in practice is far from that. And I'm thinking of um, a Times article um, that we just saw that had a representative um, who meant she said something like. This is all flying in the face of child welfare. 
and by design. So for our callers who are, or for our listeners who are listening, we're talking to uh, Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law and um, an aspiring American Joseph on the line with us today. And so I just want to, I want to talk about the that really real harsh reality of federal funds being reallocated from really, really important um, already underfunded things like Head Start and federally secured and supported HIV AIDS programming, women's shelters, um, abuse, substance abuse, um, and mental health wellness type uh, programs and shelters. So the ways in which, how do I say this? The ways that we, the way that American history has worked is that you take resources from one thing that's already underfunded to to allocate those funds someplace else to to deal with something that shouldn't be something that you have to deal with is what I'm trying to say in a not very articulate way. So here we are pulling resources from already underfunded um, um, uh, services to deal with an issue that you can't really get your arms around, right? Um, do you guys want to share your perspective on that? Yeah, so specifically talking about um, the putting resources into the family separations, right. to the detention centers, yeah. to the... To the uh, wall. Yeah, to to all of these things. Uh, and you're you're absolutely right. I don't think in the conversation we've been having about what's going on at the border with detaining families, detaining parents separated from children, there hasn't been enough information about where those funds are coming from mm -hmm. and where they're going, which I think is also important. The last time I was on here, we talked very briefly about this, which is that we're housing the families and the parents in private prisons, private prisons that were built specifically for federal inmates, but that the Department of Justice found were so unqualified and inhumane that we couldn't house prisoners there. So instead, we're going to house asylum seekers there, families there. And they did this previously under previous administrations. They were horrible, horrible situations. So they slowly tried to face it out. And now it's back. And we're going to take funding away from these really low-funded federal programs mm -hmm. that for people in need and put that money there. You know, it is a reallocation of limited funds for an unnecessary problem. Mm -hmm. There are alternatives to detention that have been shown to be 98, 99% efficient in making sure that people show up in immigration court. What are some of those? Do you want to um, share? Sure. They, there was a program that the Trump administration ended. It was a pilot program, but it was very, very successful, which ha uh, assigned a caseworker, a social worker, to an immigrant family to ensure that those people would show up in court. Um, there, there are very similar programs that they've tried, but that one was um, one that had shown itself to be very successful. Mm -hmm. They can put ankle monitors on people and release mm -hmm. them. That's not a favored solution because then they have to wear ankle monitors. But the caseworker is uh, seems to be very successful. Yeah. You know, I you know as we sort of just absorb all this, I'm thinking about the Dream Act, and we had read that this was a collaborative piece of legislation um, on both sides of the aisle coming together to try to pull together some legislation to make this work. And as I had mentioned earlier, as pioneered by Senator Orrin Hatch, a Republican from Utah, and Senator Richard Durbin, Democrat from Illinois. Um, can you share with us, Christine, the elements that are, that are most uh, attractive about this piece of legislation and some of the challenges that it's met? Yeah, so the DREAM Act has been coming up for votes probably for close to 20 years. It's been around for a long time and has gotten close to being passed over the year. Little parts of it has, have changed. Um, senator Luger, who used to be our senator, mm -hmm. was a big proponent of, of the DREAM Act. And it would be amazing if it could pass the people who currently have DACA who are young people who were brought here to the United States before the age of 16, um, have graduated from high school, many of them would qualify for a path towards permanent residency and citizenship through the DREAM Act. So you wouldn't have these two classes of people. I think 
it, it, aside from some sort of comprehensive immigration reform, it is the only solution to the DACA problem that has been created through the, uh, the Trump administration decisions last year to end DACA. You know, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, we both, we all live, reside in uh, uh, Bloomington, and I'm just curious, what does it look like in Bloomington for undocumented individuals? Um, I think earlier last year there were reports that ICE officers were, in fact, patrolling the streets of Bloomington. Yeah, um, uh, those were rumors. Yeah, uh, okay. there weren't ICE officers patrolling Bloomington. Okay. Now, ICE has always done different kind of enforcement activities in Bloomington because if somebody has an order of removal or if they have a student visa and they didn't leave when their status expired, then the Homeland Security part of ICE will come down and they will look, check in with the students or if they have an order of removal, ICE will come down and en enforce that order. They also, um, we have the local sheriff honors detainers at the local jail. So if someone gets arrested and they are undocumented or they are documented and have committed certain crimes, then ICE will request the jail hold that person and ICE will come and get them from the jail and put them into immigration detention. And that has happened uh, for, for years and years. So there hasn't been anything, luckily, knock on wood, that there hasn't been an increase at all in immigration enforcement in Bloomington. Uh, Joseph, um, I have a question concerning the Hispanic community in Bloomington. And as much as you can divulge or share, how supportive is this community? And I know there are other communities that do lend support, but how supportive is the Hispanic community in helping uh, undocumented individuals um, um, survive and thrive in Bloomington? Well, um, like I said, I'm, I'm very new to this uh, region. Um, but I've seen that there is a commitment to really introduce the Hispanic community here. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've seen around that there are several events that they're looking to promote. So to where I'm coming from, Bloomington is very accept accepted to whoever is looking to live here, uh, which I think that that's something phenomenal especially for developing communities around Indiana. Um, you have this sense of, uh, you know, growth and commitment and looking to do their best. So, yeah, I think, you know, the Hispanic community, even though it's very small here and throughout Indiana, has a lot to give. And I would say it's more of a comfort, of comfort offering comfort to the newcomers that are looking to, uh, have a piece represented of their culture in the country. And and also to sort of uh, dovetail on that, um, living in the community is one thing, but then gaining access to employment in the community is another. And uh, how difficult can that be, uh, Joseph, for someone who, who wants to sustain themselves? Um, I think it's um, just by the example that I've seen, uh, in my own household, it's just about going out there and looking to tackle that issue with the best mindset and with one purpose, mm -hmm. to have a seat at the table in this country. I would not say it's um, – I'd say the Hispanic community is very well aware of that, that they're strong, that they're firm, that they're willing to do their best to, to succeed. So I, I, I would not say it's, it's – uh, it's a challenge. It's more of this is a wonderful opportunity that we have compared to our home back in wherever we're from, um, and we're ready to to show our best. I think that's that's the way that's the best way that I can put it. I don't I don't think there's a sense of uh, I can't do it or it won't happen. It's more of a sense where do I start? Sure, uh, Attorney Pop. I we talked before we went on the air. Uh, about this this thing, this this very thing, and and how difficult, challenging, and then how horrific it can be uh, in some job settings that people can secure. I mean, and we have on this show uh, talked at length about the uh, topic of trafficking, and that's uh, these are topics we won't shy away from. But in in cases such as this, you shared that well, we would may be surprised 
uh, to learn just how uh, prevalent a thing this can be in Bloomington. Uh, can you share a little bit about what you're aware of? Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's an issue everywhere in the United States. So Bloomington definitely is not unique. Mm-hmm. But we do have some some parts of our community can make it more unique or more susceptible. Uh, we have a, a, a hospitality industry built on games and music, and there are a lot of people who come here. Whenever you have a hospitality industry, there's more of a risk for trafficking and more of a risk of, let's just say, labor violations in general. Um, so wage theft, I would throw that in there, not unpaid overtime, those kinds of things. But at the level of um, maybe the hotel or the, the restaurants, and I don't want to say that all restaurants do this or all employers do this because there are many great employers in Bloomington, but I definitely have seen some that exploit and abuse their workers, that force them to work really long hours, that may not pay them at all or pay them very reduced wages, that physically abuse them, but also emotionally by saying that they're going to contact ICE, that they'll confiscate their passports, they'll force them to be, to live in um, a home with lots of other people and charge exorbitant rents. So there are all sorts of abuses. Domestic workers in, in the house are sometimes abused, and that happens here in Bloomington as well. So at all levels, we <coughs> definitely see those kinds of violations here. Yeah. I'm um, I'm deeply concerned about the education of children. So if the children are detained, they're not in their home countries getting the basics, reading and writing and arithmetic. If they're detained, are they getting anything? And if they're not getting anything, has a body or an entity like the ACLU lodged some complaints or suing or how how are we making sure that the children aren't being crippled by forced detainment so at this point uh, the requirements of federal law and, and court cases are still in play which says that children can only be detained for a very limited amount of time thankfully it's mm-hmm. still limited mm-hmm. and there they are supposed to when they're in detention they're supposed to be given access to coloring and you know whatever mm-hmm. small things that they can do and mm-hmm. um, once the children are released if they're not released to a family they're released to some kind of house or shelter or foster system that is overseen by the office office of refugee resettlement within the department of homeland or department of health and human services and there presumably they are getting education if they're in a foster home the foster home will see to it that they go to school but it doesn't really, you know, if you're, you don't speak the language, you don't really know the family, you're separated from your own parents, you've been traumatized, you're five years old, you're scared. So just saying that somebody can go to school, um, that's not enough to really ensure that they are getting everything that they need. Yeah, the conditions are really bad. I mean, you take children away from their parents in that way, they're not going to be their best selves to be able to learn in a good environment. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're having a conversation here on Bring It On with Joseph, who is an aspiring dreamer who's seeking a path to citizenship, and uh, attorney Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law. And we've been talking at length about uh, just the dreamer's um, desire uh, to become a citizen in the United States, and we've been getting... Uh, perspectives from Joseph, who's online with us uh, this evening. Uh, I want to shift gears uh, to the other topic we talked about. And again, just to acquaint our listeners, uh, there are right now approximately 65,000 youth who've had, who have not had the opportunity, uh, once they graduate from U.S. high schools, to continue on to go to college and the like. Um, and then there are they're smeared with this particular title as a legal immigrant, and there are some who have, as we've been hearing over the past summer, who have been detained at our borders and sent off to prisons that are not even suitable to house uh, federal prisoners. But yet this has been going on under sort of the, the Trump uh, zero tolerance policy. Uh, Christine, when you were on before, 
we talked uh, at length about that. And can you sort of give us some updates on what's going on? I think when we were talking, <coughs> there was a deadline that was set in place by a federal judge that all children had to be reunited or, <laughs> um, you know, it, and they, they, they started, they had to clean it up, but they did not. So what is going on right yeah. now? What's going on? Yeah, and you actually asked me, I remember you asked, well, what happens if they don't comply? Yeah, and right. I think I gave you a look of like, I have no idea because <laughs> who knows? And, and we found out what happens. Nothing, right? Nothing happens if they don't comply because they haven't. Not all of the children have been returned to their parents. The last I heard, there was around 200. There were around 200 mm -hmm. that were still not reunited with their parents for various reasons, including some parents they can't find anymore because they're in the rural villages of Guatemala or maybe they're on their way back here. We don't know. Um, there are some parents that they said they cannot be reunited with their children because the parents have some sort of criminal history. Might be a theft conviction from 10 years ago, but you know that's going to be enough to keep them from being reunited with their children. But I know that the ACLU is really, really working on this. They are down in um, Guatemala. I think I heard that they also know of someone in Romania. So they're in various places trying to find the parents. Um, a recent order said that the, some parents can come back to the U.S. to seek asylum, to help their children seek asylum. So different things are going. It's kind of changing every day. But at this point, not all of the children have been reunited. But the majority that were separated over the summer have been reunited with their parents. Well, I'm surprised that when members of Congress went down to tour of these facilities, they were turned away. They were given uh, misinformation. And... I don't, I guess as a lot of Americans, we don't hold a lot of trust right now that our elected officials, officials are going to do what they need to do, what, what by federal decree has, has been given to them to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, do we hold individuals who are responsible um, for immigration responsible? Do we put them in jail because they have not abided by uh, a, a judicial decree or... It's a good question. There was one case in Virginia, I think it was, uh, that the, the judge was going to that day hear the case and found out that the plaintiff in the, the lawsuit was on a plane back to El Salvador or Honduras. And the judge actually said, if you don't turn that plane around, I'm going to hold Jeff Sessions in contempt. And perhaps that's what they need to do is they need to hold them in contempt. I don't, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that the only action that we have seen out of Congress was a proposal to allow the longer detention of children. That was the solution that, that some people in Congress found to this problem, was not to end it, but to change the rules to allow children to be detained longer. So it's pretty terrible what, what they're trying to do right now or their inability to do anything humane. It all, it all comes from the fact that they don't see these people as human beings, right? right? The, the xenophobia. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, any comment on that? Uh, I would just say that uh, I'm really glad that they are looking to really do something for those families and for those children, because like she was saying, they are isolated, and they are just going through very tough um chapters in their lives that are being, you know, written each day. Um, I think that immigration is a completely broken system. Definitely, there's there, there has to be a way of tackling this, and the way that they have to really put their minds to it is, first, stop discriminating. Second, the dreamers are the stepping stone to achieving something more than anything else. They will do something on behalf of them that will eventually lead to a better uh, communication within both political and uh, other, matters as, uh, other matters as well. I think that whether they're Republican or Democrat, they just need to take a stance and with their best mindset and come together honestly for for once and do something that it's going to please the people of the United States and help uh, those in need of this 
legislation to be passed, whether it's dreamers or immigrants or newcomers or people that have been here for so many years. They all need to come together, and I just really wish that they didn't just do it for political um, gang of more voters or support or more political uh, bigotry that is definitely going on. I think that they all need to come together and solve this problem because immigration can be solved. Um, I believe that it's not just because they need a wall. The system is broken mainly because there's all these special interests, whether it's a corporation looking to hire cheap uh, labor, whether it's human traffickers that are uh, using people's hopes and dreams to profit from it. And that's when I would say illegal immigration is a bad thing. I think that there has to be that pathway so they can solve the problem that they have called illegal immigration that eventually separating everyone. So I think that that's where they need to look at it. They need to look at and tell the right things. The border is secured. They just need to enforce it more. They need to hold officers accountable. They need to hold uh, accountable the people that do violate the law and that are using others to get their way. So, yeah, I, I'd say that's my only thought. I think that they can do more, and I would say the one way that they're going to make this happen is whenever they find someone that they can actually talk to, hear what the needs are, and build on from there. Because if whether, it doesn't matter whether you are a strong advocate, whether you're an attorney that has been working with several cases. No, it has to come from the person that is being affected or that is looking to, to, to have that opportunity. I would say that's, that's the only thought that I would like to add. You know, Joseph, uh, as you were speaking, I, I couldn't help but think that um, you're sharing a little bit about it, your experiences and within, um, you know, within reason or as best as you can. Uh, can you share some of the experiences you've had? Nothing that I would say that may compromise you, but uh, some of the experiences, if you'd share them, I'd appreciate it. Well, I've had experiences to where I have been uh, looking to to speak up, looking to come forward and say, look, I'm looking to advocate for this because it's affecting me and it's going to affect your communities as well. Uh, and people have turned their backs or said, yeah, let's do it. But we need everyone together, uh, whether they're political, whether they're religious, whether it's just being empathetic to these uh, people that are going through some really tough times. So, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that my involvement in the things that I do is, I would say, just something very, very minor but that has a lot of potential. That has a lot of potential to where if we would sit down each with each American, with each person that has a different view, we could certainly come to an agreement. And, you know, that, that can be done. But what can be done? People that have been appointed, whether they're leaders at all levels, and they're going to do the best that they can do to provide that. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that... Um, well, I've never suffered any racial discrimination. I think the people of Indiana are very acceptable people, people that are, they don't care who you are. But um, in this country, I think that they have, we have been told over and over again that whether we're different, we can get along. And I think that's what the current administration has done, targeted uh, our differences to draw us more separate instead of being closer and finding a new way of of coming together. Joseph, have you have you found some advocacy groups that you work with? And you don't have to compromise their identities or um, even say what the group names are necessarily. Um, I understand the sensitivity of that. But are there some working groups in Bloomington that you have connected with um, that are doing the work, you know, that are helping educate people, um, doing the advocacy, going up to um, the state capitol to do the lobbying and sharing stories. 
Is that work happening here in Bloomington? Um, I would say no. I'd say that it, as you involve more people into one specific, specific subject, there's all these different mindsets. But at the end of the day, they're not really doing anything that can take the next step forward. I think that that's why some of the things that have been occurring on the media um, have been unsuccessful or successful to an extent where they bring something new to the table. Um, I would say that the way that the government uh, in should, should, should approach this is more individually, more, more, more centered on the actual need, which is to provide that sense of comfort, to provide that sense of, well, let's take it a step at a time, but with good results. I think that, you know, initially when the whole DREAM Act uh, pathway to citizenship was going on, it was intended for a specific amount of people, and then other people decided to protest and raise the, put more heat, I would say, on, on those people who are already looking to to um, take the first step. And um, no, I just think that they have to directly speak out and they have to listen to them because those are the people that know exactly what's going on in their lives. So yeah, no, I, I do hope that there are groups here in Bloomington like they are somewhere else that are not doing it to gain um, some gratification, but more because they they want to um, crush down the misconceptions, the negative misconceptions of the immigrant community mm-hmm. and that are hurting everyone in general. Right. Christine? Yes. So I can um, tell if, if there are any listeners who are interested in getting involved in different organizations here in Bloomington. This is a kind of topic that can be so frustrating because it's really playing out at a federal level. And it's very hard to um, to do anything really to make change because what needs to happen is Congress needs to act. And it just gets old hearing that over and over. Congress needs to act. Call your Congress people. Mm-hmm. That can be very frustrating. But that is truly the only solution to this problem. However, having said that, there are several organizations in town that are seeking to help immigrants to the extent that they can. Um, There is a group called the Immigration Witnesses, and it is a group that I'm involved in and helped form. We uh, offer a few different services, including accompanying people to court hearings, to immigration, check-ins with ICE, um, and just accompanying people can make them feel a little bit more safe and calm. In addition, we can be there to help people if ICE does do any kind of enforcement at their home to have a witness there and bear witness on what's happening, making sure that it is all lawful. Um, in addition, we have some other programs that we're hoping to form. There's the Bloomington Refugee Support Network in town, and the Bloomington Refugee Support Network offers very one-on-one contact matching up people with immigrants to help them um, find apartments, uh, find furniture, go to doctor's appointments, go to court hearings, all different sorts, um, pay for legal fees or filing fees for immigration. There is the Undocu Hoosiers, which is a group that is on campus primarily, and they work um, to help the undocumented immigrant populations in Indiana. They do advocacy. They have some small funds to offer as, as uh, scholarships. There's El Centro Comunal Latino, which is an organization based in the library that does, you couldn't imagine what, everything for immigrants, particularly the Latino community. But it, any immigrant that goes in is going to get help. And um, I want to mention also, it's not exactly an immigrant organization, but Volunteers in Medicine provides really, really important services to low income, but also to immigrant, um, low income immigrant communities, because they cannot get insurance without social security numbers. And they need volunteers, but they also need funding. So all of these organizations, just from the, on the t- off the top of my head, right. are ones working to help immigrants specifically here in Bloomington. And we can share this in our recap um, at the end of the show in the archives. Sure. And the very dutiful uh, Roberta Radovich has listed most of those <laughs> yes. groups. 
Um, you know, what has caught me really over the last few days is the fact that um, um, our president is appearing this week before the United Nations to talk up America and to represent America. Um, and I'm sure some very astute um, member of that body is going to probably pose the question, well, tell us about these detained immigrants and the squalid conditions that some of them are in and the abuses that some of them have um, received. Uh, that doesn't get talked about a lot, but um, um, girls were being uh, rushed through New York um, by Greyhound bus and by, you know, to undisclosed places, and there was a concern about their welfare and how they're being treated. And so in his efforts to rush back to fire Rod Rosenstein, um, maybe before he does all this, someone could pose that question. Mr. President, what are you doing uh, to make America great again? So, uh, and I don't want to get on that platform. I don't want to stay there too <laughs> long. But it, it's, it, get, it gets really frustrating because no other time that I've been alive, and uh, I've been alive for some time. Roberta, don't say anything. But uh, <laughs> And I, I've seen and heard some things. I've talked to grandparents. Uh, I've talked to my parents about things. And these are really bizarre times that we're living in. Well, we've, we, we talk about making our amends with slavery. Yep. And yet here we are in this moment. Uh, yeah. How I mean we we I mean seriously this is an African American public affairs program. That's right. If we can't talk about this, That's nobody right. else is going to That's make right. these connections. And we talk about an intersectional identities. You know, intersectional identities. You cannot talk about intersectional identities without talking about intersectional histories, right? And this is a racialized conversation, and we have not really brought to bear the the ways this looks conspicuously close to a moment in time where people were being detained <laughs> um, simply because of where they're from, simply because of the language that they speak or they don't speak. Or we or, need to add and include the Jewish uh, people. Exactly. Or, or simply because of the, um, the legalistic nature right. of their, their citizenship or the lack thereof. And so as a student of history, as a student of um, what makes America great, I mean, right? Like, I see a pattern. I see something that does not rest well in my soul. I think a lot of people see something that does not rest well in our soul. And we're struggling to understand, I see this, this looks like something I know, and yet we haven't given ourselves a permission to make the, a direct link. And, mm -hmm. and I, think it's, I think you said it maybe a little bit before, Christine, this is what happens when you don't see a group of people as a group of people. That's right. When they don't have the rights and privileges and obligations of peoplehood, you can do anything to them. And even when they're American citizens on an island, that's a territory of the United States, but uh, we want to draw a debate over how many people were killed during a hurricane, sure. whereas Florence devastates North Carolina quickly rush to the microphone and say, we're there for you. We're all, we're going to be there for you. And then Puerto Rico, and it would happen almost a year to the day. Mm -hmm. And and he was reminded uh, of, of just his blustering and whatnot when that happened and the fact that now he debates the numbers of people who were who were tragically killed. Right. Um, and I didn't mean to draw you off. No, that, but, but this, no. like I said, this, these are bizarre times. These are bizarre times. And it, and it really, uh, you know, if, if, Martin Luther King said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend toward justice. I think about what you said earlier in the conversation, Christine, that I, I believe that there is an end in sight. And I, I do. I believe that there's an end. But what is the carnage, literally yes. and figuratively? Yes, it's true. Um, for an entire generation. I think about that all the time. I think about all of the people who will never see their family members again because of the because their fathers were deported or and 
people who were deported who never would have been in removal proceedings under previous mm-hmm. administrations. Mm-hmm. Because everybody right now is a priority for deportation. Everybody is. It's just really a very sad time. I mean, the reason that we have such a large undocumented population is because of really faulty immigration laws, because of ignoring history and the relationship between the United States and Mexico and the border. Um, This focus on the fact that there might be brown people invading us and they're a threat to our security, this is a really horrible focus. It's not where the focus of our security needs to be at all. Giving all of this funding to an organization like ICE that is rogue, that goes around like the Gestapo arresting people in the middle of the night at their homes, it's terrible. It's very terrible. But I do think that we can all fight, but we have to be able to talk about it and mm-hmm. really point out what's going on. And I, I don't think that there's enough conversation going on really talking about the inhumanity and immorality of this. And this is on all of us. Right. This is going to be our kids talking about what did you do when our government was doing this to immigrants? That's, That's right. right, Christy. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting, time is getting away from us, as it always does during good conversations. But we had talked before we, we went on uh, about the need for individuals at times to secure um, legal representation, uh, the need for a good attorney who will be an advocate, who will fight on their behalf. Can you tell us uh, some of the challenges, Christine, that people confront even when they want to go that route? Well, you know, the, what most people don't realize is that even in the deportation system, it is considered civil. It's not considered criminal. And that means that people don't have the right to a paid attorney. They have to pay for their own attorney or qualify for a free attorney that's from a nonprofit. And there aren't enough free attorneys. So it's really hard for people to find an attorney, even if they want one. Uh, Immigration law is very complicated. And there aren't a lot of attorneys out there. I mean, tens of thousands, but you know, you take that across the whole country. There aren't that many who are really qualified and skilled at doing this kind of work. Um, but the statistics are really amazing to see w- if you have a lawyer, your uh, opportunity to succeed in your case is, is quite high. And as the Trump administration is changing their policies and making it more difficult for people to get lawful status, the need to actually consult with an attorney that knows immigration law is really becoming even more important, Um, particularly for things like asylum or deportation. That's pretty Mm -hmm. complicated. If I can't afford an attorney, it used to be that one will be provided for you free, whatever, but that's not the case here. What can a person do? What options do they have? Well, if if they're low income, they can definitely try to seek help from a nonprofit organization. Um, in Indiana, we don't have a ton. There are a few in Indianapolis. But again, they don't have a lot of resources. So anybody who's motivated to help can also mm-hmm. donate to those organizations. Can a person go online to learn where these organizations are? Yeah, so to name two, or I guess I can name three, there's Neighborhood Legal Christian Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic, which is in Indianapolis, and Indiana Legal Services Immigrants' Rights Project is located in Indianapolis. But they help people statewide. It's just their physical location is in. And then there's Catholic Charities in Indianapolis that helps a limited number of people. They don't help all kinds of cases. And they observe and respect uh, the anonymity of the situations. Um, Everything is confidential, if that's the question. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. All right. And the length of process, say if... Typically, um, uh, the will of justice is it that, that moves slower. Is it <laughs> uh, how long can this drag out to immigration cases? Yes. Uh, I have a client in deportation case uh, deportation proceedings right now. It's been there for ten years, so a long time. Uh, most right now, most asylum cases are going to take uh, th- ones that have previously been filed. They're going to take three to six years to resolve until they get to immigration court, and then that could be another five or six years. Long cases. And during that time, a person is held in custody? No, not oh, always. Okay. They can be free, and sometimes they can get work authorization, depending. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're running out of time, but so we're going to allow our guests some final statements. And, Joseph, we'll start with you. Um, we have about a couple minutes. If you could take a minute of that time and just share something that you want our listeners uh, to hear from you. Well, I just want to say that I do hope that all those people that are in processes or they're looking to find a way out of their situation, 
in that have, you know, acknowledged their actions. Uh, I just want to say that I do hope that they do find that that uh, that opportunity because I will definitely uh, do it every day that I can. Um, I don't say that I have an American dream, but I would say that I live it every day, and I'm not going to take it for granted. So um, I would say that even though we're having all these conversations and all these great ideas that could eventually um, help this broken system and everything else that's going on, I think that it will be one day up to an individual person who will stand, who will uh, have thought through all these challenges that will use everything that they have to, to be a game changer, definitely, to um, see the vision uh, that he saw, even though he was looking to have a voice, even though he was looking to, to advocate strongly about I think that person will be the one that will change a lot of things, that will give a spin to all these things that we uh, think about and talk about and take for granted each day. And um, yeah, I hope that leader is out there and that one day he will take the stage and people will know who he is and the things that he has really done to, to make this a better place for everyone. All right. For those that are here, for those that are coming, for the future, and that person will work as much as they can, as much as they can each day to make that effort. Well, hopefully that... I'm going uh, add... Mm-hmm. Um, to Go ahead. Please stop listening to hate groups. Please stop listening to people that are telling you one thing or another. Listen to yourself. Ask those answers to yourself. What would I do? If I was in this position, what are the possibilities um, that the, that I can do something for it? So definitely, no. I think that one day that person will will be the one that will be the final the the final person that will decide the the rest of the future for all these things that they went through and that all these people went through and that he he's the one that's going to look back and in history and find himself there and say, I did this, I did that, this is what I'm going to do to end this whole situation. All right, well, Joseph, um, Roberta and I want to thank you uh, for joining us today. And um, Christine, uh, uh, we'll have you back on again. Thank you. And if you'll come on, and we'll just open the invitation right now. Um, But we want to thank our guest, Joseph, a dreamer aspiring to be uh, on the path and stay on the path of American citizenship, and Christine Popp of Popp and Bullman, attorneys at law. And she has been, as always, our expert on immigration issues. And we want to thank thank them for their views and perspectives on the current state of affairs for separated and detained um, migrant children under the Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure that we share everything and anything impacting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone, my friend to my right, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Today's board engineer was Wes Martin, and our original theme music was created by Jamil Efiam, with additional background tracks from David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, October 1st at 6 p.m. to bring it on for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. 
Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.